Please raise your right hand. I, Cedric Mortimer Flapdoodle, do solemnly swear. I, Cedric Mortimer Flapdoodle, do solemnly swear. That the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are appearing as private individuals. Uh, that the, uh, the, the guys on this podcast are here because they want to be. And that their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. And they're not speaking on behalf of their employers. And anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operations. And when they talk about airplanes. Is obviously very, very general. general. It's very Don't general. Don't get ahead of me, son. Sorry, sorry. You should always consider your situation, remember your training, and fly the aircraft. You should think about where you are, how you got there, and what to Congratulations. do. Congratulations. So, so Amy, I got to ask you: Has your has your weather sucked this winter just as badly as it has in Sarasota? Sucked is the definitive term. God, <laughs> breaks my heart, you guys. Bad I might as well be living in, you know, New Hampshire or something. Yeah. Oh, oh man, see, I thought we'd started, but apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> well, just stall warn that right out. Yeah, okay, that's what I'll do. Uh, there is define... just a, a, a drop dead gorgeous. Uh, sunset coming through the trees oh uh, man i haven't house. seen the sun and, all yeah, day but it's, it's, it's like been 20 severe degrees clear Kelvin for days and you know in in 50 ish and this is you know just uh 50s. just barely past the odds of march i had yeah. to get up to take my art director to the airport in orlando on sunday morning and I went to, you know, swish, swish the window wipers and then went. <laughs> and she looked at me and she said, now she's from, from New York. She said, oh, where's your scraper? I'll just help you. And I said, You're not home yet, honey. That's right. <laughs> to which the universal translator beeps and goes, uh, scraper? Yeah. Scraper. Guess yeah. say scraper. I haven't oh. heard that term in a long time. So she, so she's ripping around in her purse real fast because yes. she doesn't want to miss her flight. And she says, "Oh, here's my AOPA card. I'll use. I don't oh. use it for anything else." <laughs> so she didn't. Want I to thought we started. She didn't <laughs> want to grab her woman in aviation membership card. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it was a, a Saturday morning uh, or Friday morning a few weeks ago where uh, I came out of this little hotel in South Saint Paul, where it was minus seven. Uh, at that time of day, and you know, the, the humidity owed back to the atmosphere. There was no moisture in the air, and there were still little crinkled spider webs of ice on all the glass on the on on the uh, on the crew car they gave me to drive. And it's like whiskey tango foxtrot. There's no moisture in the air. Where did you come from? <laughs> All right, we got to talk but, about aviation here. We got to talk about aviation. That's what we're supposed to do. The, the aviation company that loaned me the vehicle uh -oh. did have two ice scrapers in it. So okay, uh, one of them with the TSO. Okay, inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. Um, so we know that airplanes generally come in two configurations. One is where the seats are side by side. Let's talk about two seaters. We're talking about two place airplane, where the uh -huh. seats are side by side. You sit next to each other, and like like. You know, many are the 152s and, you know, the Gobosh I've been flying and, and whatnot. And then you have other airplanes where the seats are front and back, like uh, Satabia Cub, uh, uh, Champ. We call cetera. that tandem. Well, now, okay, so 
and that's right. The front and back seating is called tandem seating. Correct. What's it called when they're side by side? Side, side by side. No, no, no. <laughs> side by side. That's what it's side called. Side by side. Ag- really. Aggravating. Aggravating. They're always wanting to know what you're doing. When they sit behind <laughs> you, it's much easier to ignore them. Yeah, it's much easier on the instructor. You can tap. I, w- I was a big tapper in my day, particularly with instruments. I bet too. you still are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> which, no, wait, wait, which is better, side by side or tandem? It's well, it's personal uh, personal opinion. For what? Uh, a 747? No, no, no. no. Or, Amy or, was saying that when she's instructing, she prefers one of the other, and I didn't quite catch which. I, I did. I prefer the side-by-side yeah, because okay. I could tap on the instruments, particularly with an instrument student. Now, that being said, I got my seaplane rating in a Piper Cub on floats, and my instructor was uh, Burnside size, and <laughs> I would come mean? home each night. Yeah. Well, you know how, how what size I am, right? Okay, right, bigger on. versus smaller. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Smaller. Even, I had to sit in the back. There. I had to sit in the back. Yeah. And so my husband would ask me, "So where'd you go today?" And I said, "I don't know. We we land on a bunch of lakes, you know." <laughs> you couldn't He'd see say, anything. Well, how high did you go? I said, "I don't know. I never saw the altimeter." He said, Wait a minute, you can get a rating back there? I just said, I never saw the airspeed indicator. Why why, why not? Couldn't see over his shoulders. David's question is, you can get your rating from the back seat. Of a Piper Cub, that's where you get your rating from. Yeah, I mean, that's, yes, that's because that's where you solo from. Yeah. How do you fly, no kidding, I'm all kidding aside, how do you fly that airplane if you can't really see the instruments? You don't need the instruments. It's the horizon I'm interested in. That's right. And, and yeah. Jack, I mean, what instruments are there in that airplane? Yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, training aside, uh, uh, Amy's CFI situation aside, what what's the pros and cons of these two seating, you know, formats? What, which do I do? Does anybody have a preference of? I mean, what? if you're the if you're the instructor in a, in a Piper Cub. You're going to end up up front, so your student can solo from behind, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's really hard to smack them on the head that way. Yeah, okay. And you can't it, see them either. That would be my t- concern. Yeah, it's like when in I terms of in terms of a personal airplane, though, where you're not given instruction in it, you're using it. it oh. a, a, one thing that jumps to mind, in particular, about the difference between tandem and side by side two place. Uh, first off, almost all the tandems are tailwind tailwheel nothing wrong with that it's just something that you need to be aware of almost second almost the uh yeah go yeah. ahead dave dave keep going lug- Don't. luggage luggage tolerance for uh, tandems yes. tends to be much smaller Correct. than the luggage tolerance for side by side why would that be i think i know but you tell me well, it's getting farther away from uh, right. it's getting farther away from the uh, uh, center of gravity yep. when you mm-hmm. you've got to load behind that second seat, uh, and then it's a narrower space as well. Uh, and it's not a universal thing. There are some airplanes with halfway decent, you know, tandem airplanes with halfway decent luggage capacity weight wise, but they unless you're talking about ski poles or fishing rods, they don't have a lot of uh, uh, volume. Mm-hmm. Or, that's correct, side but you know, side, if you're a really a long better. leg guy, if you're a really long leg guy, you might like that tandem, particularly if you're flying from the back. That's, that's true. 
Unless you're sitting in the front, which means, well, if if you're sitting in the front and the long leg guy is sitting in the back, that means the long leg legged guy's feet are like underneath your knees, right? Because, you know, no, this, uh, your, your yes. feet straddle the front seat. That's what I'm saying, yeah. right? You know, it's like they're, they're, the feet stick up next to you. They're kind of wiggling, doing their rudder things right underneath you. I don't know. Um, yeah, but doing, we don't doing care. Doing their rudder thing? Yeah, don't you do the rudder thing? <laughs> I, I just want that one repeated for Buster. If you were a good pilot, yeah, you'd be doing things. the rudder thing. You need to be doing the rudder thing. Yeah, those rudder things don't always even steer the airplane. Yeah. You know? I, I, but I they always do the rudders. Yeah. I call it happy feet. Happy feet, exactly. Happy yeah, feet. it's dancing time. I'm gonna use that. Yeah. Um, all right. So I'll tell you, the only experience I have actually flying in a tandem aircraft is the couple hours I had in the Citabria last for a couple, whatever it was. And uh, one of the biggest impressions I got from it was uh, the improved visibility. Uh, oh, yeah. You know. Uh, Partly, I mean, mostly because obviously you don't have somebody in the way, so you can see left and right equally. Um, in the case of the Satabra, you also were sort of, you sat higher too, higher relative to the cowling, and so you kind of saw over the cowling better too, which is not really a tandem thing. But uh, that's so you can see the ground somewhere within a hundred feet of the nose when you when, when, yeah. when you're on the tail. Yeah. And uh, when I was in uh, when I was in Detroit, the tr- Detroit area, we, I was at Pontiac with uh, with Tupper a couple weeks ago, and we were kind of messing around with this uh, this uh, Citabria in the hangar. And uh, I climbed into it. I climbed into the front seat. Tupper climbed into the back seat. He had never been in the back seat before. And his comment from back there was, "Wow," he says, "the visibility is much better than I expected it to be." And the instructor uh, Weaver was there and said, "Yeah, it's really actually not that bad back there. Uh, you can see pretty good." But then. That's different than what you guys have said about the Cub, where apparently the visibility is not not so great. Yes? No? Well, <clears throat> I mean, if visibility I over the nose isn't all that good, but visibility out the sides is excellent. You can certainly see in front of the airplane, you know, enough oh, to find the horizon and things like that. Um, on the ground, of course, you want to be S-taxiing to make sure yeah. you see what's in front of you. No, Jeff's uh, absolutely right. I never had any problem flying the airplane, if that's what you were asking. No, I'm just kind of curious the pros and cons and, uh, you know, well, why not? A few, weeks, a few weeks ago, we recorded a podcast when I was at an undisclosed location in the Great White North. And, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, the purpose of that was to uh, spend some time with a, uh, uh, an Aviat Husky on skis. Can we talk about this now? Yeah, it came oh. in the mail today. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's not talk about it now. Let's come back to that. But yeah. So sure. Uh, but but it, that's tandem seat airplane. Yeah, I yep. did all of it from the back seat. Uh, there was a lot that I had to work really hard to see if I needed to see it. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, in the panel, uh, particularly speaking, but it was not difficult to see enough to 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 manage, you know, approach, arrival, touchdown, departure. Uh, heavy emphasis on the S turning. On the ground, because sitting in the back seat, looking around a guy and around the nose, means that you need to have a fairly regular and wide sway of the nose. And when you're on skis, that takes on a whole different nature by yeah, itself. Yeah. But, now, but it me, was eminently flyable from back there. Sure. Um, before we move away from this, um, so is there is there sort of a very practical engineering? pro and con here uh, for example um amy you guys have a uh, have an rv10 right uh, yes which your rv10 is side by side seating am i correct 
Well, there's well, four, four seats, seats in it, so yeah. But, it, but it's all right, yeah, but it's side by side. But there are a lot of RVs um, that are tandem seating. There's, there's yes, some, there are. And and in matter of fact, they make a lot of models where there's a tandem version and more or less equivalent side by side version, as I understand it. They do. What's the engineering issue here about pro- tandem versus side, or is it totally it's just not- kind of a marketing kind of you want to have a mix so that. You know. It's it's a marketing thing because honestly, the tandem ones go to the guys who want to pretend they're playing aerobatics more, like the Cubs, and right? Like a like the, pilot or a well, champ. not even the Cubs, like the Decathlons and the and the Cetabrias. Um The 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 RV four is a very nice aerobatic machine. The RV nine is a little warbird. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. They're yeah. tandem. Okay. You know, the RV7A, you know, when you when you want a nose wheel, they put it with a nose wheel. When you want a tail wheel, they put it with a tail wheel. So it really has more much more to do with marketing and and design than it does with, you know, if if you had a single seat airplane and you wanted to morph it into a two seat airplane, it would be easier to make it tandem than Absolutely. it would to make it side by side. From, a, from an engineering perspective. You stretch the fuselage and you relocate the wing to accommodate the, the change in weight distribution and a higher weight. And you reposition the gear to continue to have it to sit at whatever attitude you wanted it at. Which means if it was on uh, a tailwheel to begin with, uh, you may not have to move it much at all. Uh, Probably not very much at all. You're absolutely right, Dave. Hmm. Oh, Interesting. But you are, you are going to wind up moving the wings location some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. All right. Well, see, the, you know, like, you know, the Wright brothers, well, initially the Wright brothers was a single, but then if I, the pictures I've seen, the first dual, you know, two-seater airplanes that the Wright brothers had were side-by-side seating. So obviously uh, yes, that's the way were. it's supposed to be. And, you know, they really didn't have to do anything to accommodate the second seat except to move the pilot seat slightly off to one side. They just added another two-by-six. Yeah, try to remember it was a multi-engine airplane, too. Yeah, it had two props from the very beginning. Uh, It was a multi-propeller single engine. Okay. With counter-rotating props. Uh Yep. Yep. Those were very bright guys. They, They even knew to put the tail in front. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's a conversation for another day. All right. Well, we've got that figured out. I'm glad we've. Uh, I'm glad we settled that. Hey, welcome, folks, to uh, episode 174 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Is there an aircraft, a model number 174 that we can name this one? No. I don't think it's a 174. Uh, no. uh, there's a maybe in Russia, or, you know, Czechoslovakia. 175, 177. All right, uh, all right, we'll have to come back to that. 174 of Uncontrolled Airspace. We're recording this uh, episode on uh, Tuesday evening, March 2nd, 2010. It's March. It's almost spring. Yay. Hallelujah. Yeah, I know. Uh, and let me say hi to my <laughs> friends here joining me in the virtual hangar. Uh, one of those voices is Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you tonight? Lovely. Just lovely. Is it really still light there? I keep forgetting that you're like a whole bunch yeah. west. Yeah, it's, uh, let's check the old Timex here. And according to the clock on the computer, it's uh, 6.20 p.m. Central Standard Time. Yeah, I, I know you're in Central Time because that's been a, we've been fighting that battle for four years of doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, I forgot that the sun was in a different place, too, and that it would actually still be light out there. And uh, so, <laughs> oh, and we're not all that far from the onset of daylight savings time. I know. I, I, you know, I'm one of the people who likes 
the, yeah, I'm the expanded daylight uh-huh. savings time. I, I, the, I'm one of my favorite. Yeah, this is like, oh gosh, I'm going to say the same. One of my favorite years was the year that we, we didn't go off of daylight savings time. Remember, this was way back during the energy crisis. I'm making little finger quotes. Energy crisis, right. and there was a year where we didn't go off of the daylight. Savings. I loved that year. That was great. Um, I used to keep a clock when I was a kid. I used to keep a clock in my bedroom that I left on daylight savings time all year. And round. You know, if you saved it properly, the next year you had. You know, two days and, 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 and a couple of extra hours. That's the whole point. There you go. Hey, and also here in the uh, virtual hangar is Jeb Burnside, who's talking, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. I don't know if you can hear my train here. My train's coming through. I actually rode the train today for the first time ever. I mean, the first time this particular train, but that's another story. Hi, Jeb. Sarasota, how you doing? <laughs> I'm fine, Jack. And I haven't, um, haven't even opened no, no my trends. beer yet here. i got to open my beer. Yeah, you got to open that beer. Uh, I'm, you I'm, say hi yeah. while I'm opening and my you beer. you obviously got to open that beer. If you haven't opened a beer yet, it's going to be entertaining before this one's over. You, you're, you're 10 minutes behind. <laughs> Jeb? Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm, I'm spiffy. What are you drinking uh, tonight? I'm drinking uh, iced water. Oh, uh, I haven't heard of that. Oh so yeah. I, I, I hate to I hate to uh you know tarnish my image or anything. I know. But, uh, I know. Uh, drinking ice water. Line and Kugel sunset wheat here. That's what I'm drinking. Line and Kugel sunset wheat. Uh a nice uh a, a nice twelve year old single malt. Yeah. What you been up to Jeff? But grown up nonetheless. What you been up to, Jeff? I've I've been flying a lot. Lately, yeah, I, I guess. saw that. I saw something uh, somewhere. I can't remember, but I remember uh, seeing I probably put twenty five hours on the airplane in the last I don't know. Two weeks, Good ten days. That, two that, weeks. That, that's fixed. That sounds about right. Yeah, at least, at least. Yeah. Any any interesting notable things? You know, it's just everyday um, flying. I, two th- two things. I, I I you can still fly across this country without having to talk to anybody. Yes, you can. Yep. Unless you still do that. Unless you're that French guy from down in. Uh, no, never mind. Right. That was right. A that's, that's, that's a really bad story. No, but all kidding aside, you've been doing all this, uh, what, on VFR flight following? I, I, did a, I did a weekend trip out to um, uh, the south, well, south central states. Um, VFR, going and coming. Didn't even get flight following. Just, you know, talked to a few controllers along the way to see if certain MOAs, restricted areas, were active. Um, and... Um, just motored on my way. Had you know, had the iPod tuned up and turned up, and uh, mm-hmm. just enjoyed the the ride. Enjoyed the countryside going by. It was a good trip. Yeah. Hey. yeah. And also here tonight, obviously, is uh, Amy Laboda, who's talking to us from uh, the center of the universe right now, Fort Myers, <laughs> Florida. You know why it's the center of the universe, right? No, why is that? God, I want to hear this too. Because Fort Myers is where the Red Sox do their spring training. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, Red Sox, Red Sox. And tomorrow, so that's, that's baseball, isn't it? Tomorrow, is that a hockey team? Is that a hockey team? Tomorrow is the first spring training game of the, uh, you know, the exhibition game of the season. So we're all very, very excited about this. And when they're playing exhibition, does that make them exhibitionists? Yeah, yeah as a matter of yeah. fact. How is it? You know, are you joking? Is it, are people aware that that's going on down there? Is Fort Myers oh, a buzz? We're very aware, very yeah. aware. There's a <laughs> lot of people from Boston here. In fact, if I wanted to try and get on a Boston flight, it simply would not be possible. Uh-huh. Right now. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But uh, all that aside, they must be very, very relieved that the rain came through today, and that the wind will lay down tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Even yes. though it will be another cool day, unseasonably cool, as most days have been. Tiresomely unseasonably cool. Well, yes. weather and baseball aside, how you been? How's everything? 
I've been great. You yeah, know, I ha- I threw yeah. that party for 3,000 of my closest friends in Orlando last week. Let's come back yeah. to that in just a few minutes. But yeah, you've, you've been really And I'm busy. feeling tremendous relief. And I'm getting ready to go to uh, Paris for the weekend to uh, celebrate 100 years of women flying wow. at Le Bourget. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, come on. How bad can it be? Yeah. Going where again? Yeah, do you yeah, need somebody you to carry right. your bags on this one? Did you say <laughs> Paris? Yeah, my daughter who goes in to school in Texas? Sarasota. <laughs> Midnight blue for the occasion is going to join me this weekend. So I have my, my French right. speaking daughter is going to join me. Sounds like fun. Hang on. Before we move on here, let me just say, and I'm Jack Hodgson and I'm talking <laughs> from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire, where I'm back after I was, uh, uh-huh, uh I was zipping around New England. Well, not New England. I was down in Boston today. Like I said, I rode the train for the first time ever. And, uh, was down in Boston visiting our friends at the, uh, state department. Oh. <laughs> Uh, How yeah. successful! Hillary so. and I pretty much straightened everything out, and uh, no, I had, yeah, that's good. Didn't know. I have to get a passport because I'm going to be some of my uh, travel is taking me up into Canada pretty soon, and so uh, mm-hmm. I needed to get an expedited passport. And so I went down to Boston. I, I did the whole deal. I collected all my paperwork and got my pictures taken. The world's worst pictures of me, <laughs> unbelievable. All right. And uh, collected, I found, I found a copy of my birth certificate. I filled out the form. I got a printout of my itinerary because you got to prove that you're traveling soon. And uh, packaged this all up. And then, of course, my car died. Right, it's just in time for this whole thing. So fortunately, I got the train right here. The train goes right to North Station, and the uh, the, the passport office is in the building next door to uh, to North Station. So that's kind of cool. So I went on down and I did my whole thing. And uh, well, apparently they have a different definition of of get your passport right away, all right? Because although I filled out all the forms and talked to the people and they stamped everything and, and everything is good and good to go, um, then that, now they have to quote-unquote make my passport. And they aren't able to make my passport until Thursday afternoon. So mm-hmm. I have to go back down to Boston just to pick up my passport on Thursday. They, they can't, like, overnight it to you? I, you know, I don't dare because I need it. I absolutely have to have it in my little hands by Tuesday morning next week. <coughs> and just don't want to yeah, I'm surprised no. they get it to you that fast, bro. Uh, yeah, well, uh, for money. You can, you yeah, can for, do anything. They'll do it for money, yeah. yeah $160 later, yeah, plus the well, travel. Which is not all that much, no, considering. No. Yeah, no, it's, it's reasonable. I, I just it, kind of a little bugged I have to go back down again. I thought it, I was going to. It gonna, cost me extra uh, to get my first passport because I, I had a brand new job at a new magazine and had been there a whole month before somebody told me that uh, they were actually sending the guy with only a month on the job to work at the Farnborough Air Show. And by the way, we've set this trip up for you. You're going to go to Amsterdam and Stockholm first. And I was like, uh, I'll need a passport for that, won't it? Won't, you don't have a passport? Uh, no. W- why not? This trip's been coming up. I was, yeah, but you didn't tell the new guy he was going. Yeah, that's the, exactly <laughs> what happened to me. Exactly but there was a passport office only two blocks away from where I worked, and you know, by ponying up some extra bucks and knowing a photographer that could give me like one hour of service on the, the passport. It was like every bloody photo store in Washington at the time did. And you guys- ten days later... I got a passport. Ten days, see? Now, you guys, listen to you complaining and complaining. My first assignment at Flying Magazine was to go to Paducah, Kentucky, okay? <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> well, this wasn't my first assignment. This was just like you would have thought when I started 
the week that I started. Uh, uh, by the way, you need to be in line and prepping your head to go to Stockholm and visit Saab and uh, Fokker in Amsterdam and then on to the Farnborough Air Show because we're sending you. Mm-hmm. As yeah. opposed to, oh, nobody told you? Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that was my adventure today. and, uh, and uh, It's worth it. It's worth it. That's that. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. It gives them so many more ways to... No and because the Canadians care so much about your passport, too. Yeah, I know. That's, don't, let's not even go into that. <laughs> Amy, as you mentioned, you've been real busy uh, on a very, very exciting project. Tell us what you're up to this past week. Well, uh, we had our, our 21st, yes, 21st, and I've been to 20 out of 21, um, Women in Aviation Conference, International Conference in uh, Disney World, Mouseland, one of my favorite places in the world. <laughs> and um, mostly because Orlando is a union town, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you can't gaff your own extension right. cords there. Exactly. Professional question. Exactly. Where did you hold it at, at Disney World? At the Coronado Springs Resort. Oh, that must have been kind of cool. One of Disney's moderate resorts. Actually, they treated us very well. Yeah. Uh, I only had to check into three rooms before I got one that had two beds. <laughs> okay, anyways, what was the conference um, like? Did you have fun? <laughs> what was the conference the like? Conference Did you guys have fun? It was yeah. terrific. Yes, we had a blast. We doubled our international attendance, as you guys have known. I've done a lot of travel in the last year to try mm-hmm. and... and, and augment that in many different ways. Um, I've been to Nairobi and to Abidjan, all the hot spots. Um, And it paid off. We had more than 100 international attendees, and those are the ones that could get visas. Let's not go there with the State Department stuff. (laughs) Seriously, no, I had a lot of people. I would say a couple dozen people that were refused visas. For this conference. Really? really? Yeah. Huh. Because they were from the Middle East, because they were from um, African nations where they were considered um, at risk not to come home. Oh, I, I, it's really depressing in a lot of but, ways. But we're not going there. Because in the okay. end, we had, we had just shy of 3,000 attendees. The place buzzed, wow. it, and, and I have had so much fun over the last couple of days digging around the Internet to see where we're getting press coverage because I had more than 35 people in my press room, which I love because <laughs> I host the press room there. Um, we did a show daily every day, which is great fun because I'm not usually in the daily mode. And uh, Higdon knows how to be in the daily mode, so yeah. Yeah, you understand. When you go oh, from a bi-monthly mode... All of these guys know absolutely. how to be in the daily mode. When you go from the bi-monthly mode and you shift into daily gear, things change uh, dramatically. <laughs> you apparently... So did you run the show daily, or you just kind of were watching? Oh, absolutely. You I apparently, am... You apparently... I'm apparently you apparently published a piece by one of our fellow podcasters, uh, Ziola, from... Uh, yes! Uh, it was very excited on Twitter. She's uh, a member of the uh, of the uh, oh, I want to say Rocky Mountain High. That's not right. The uh, Mile High podcast, the yes. Mile High Flyers podcast, and uh, um, and on Twitter she was very excited. She was saying, "I can't wait for the issue to come out. Tell me when it's out. Tell me because she wasn't able to make it to Florida, but she, from but from afar she was like, "On, I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, it's out. I'm a published." Author. She was very excited. It was very sweet. She really was excited, and she was delightful to work with. By the way, too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, you know, I really respect the people who, who understand what a deadline is. And especially that's true when the deadline is one o'clock in the afternoon, uh-huh, yeah. you know, every day. I mean, it's really important. So, um, and I rely on, on volunteers and it's great fun because I work with, with a colleague of mine from Flying Magazine Days, uh, Patricia Lupke, who is a former, mm-hmm. oh, uh, advertising know, director. Yeah. Uh, and she is my editor of the show daily. Oh, and then I have better. Nancy Bink as my art director. God bless them both because they spend very little time getting out to see the conference. And uh, I have this one other job that I have, which is I'm the AV liaison for all of the general sessions and banquet oh, and luncheon uh, productions during the conference. So I get to talk to the AV guys as well as the printer guys. And did if I didn't wear, have... Did you wear a catheter? I'm trying to figure out where you where you where you could never mind. (laughs) (laughs) So uh so what was the what was the atmosphere this time and what were the what were the stories at this uh, year's conference? It was an absolute high. The buzz was high. We had 125 exhibitors. Our aeroindustryjobs.com virtual job fair is still going on. Uh, out of 125 exhibitors, about 100 had their HR people there. There are people wow. hiring. We had wow. 58 jobs listed in our virtual jobs fair. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I'm sorry, but there are jobs out there right now. People can get hired. You got to know where to go. You got to come armed with your resume under your hand, and you got to get off the couch and out there. You can't afford to to stew in it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just some terrific mentoring and networking. You know, we had eighteen breakout sessions every day. Uh, I got to do a podcast for my um, managing safety podcast with uh, Randy Babbitt, one on one, which was great. oh that guy. On Friday, um, had Deborah Hurstman on Saturday, the chairman of the NTSB. And what is I she like? She's actually really delightful. I, I was pleased with pleased uh, with our encounter. For those I of really, us who don't know, who who is she? She is the chairwoman. I like to say chairwoman. They call her chairman <laughs> of the National Transportation Safety Board. Okay, all right. And she yeah. had some very good things to say. Uh, about about where the NTSB is trying to go on the issues of pilot fatigue and um, also a sterile cockpit, you know, and and focus, 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 and and are pilots focused on what they should be doing right now, or are they so stressed by the environment around them uh, that they're not? Doing their jobs sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, and that you was know, that was a reference to the to the Minneapolis thing. It's it, it, it's been tougher and tougher on these guys. The less and less they've had to do. Uh, agreed, agreed on certain no, on certain no. level. Now, but she gave it. She gave a very interesting speech, which I'm working very hard to get out at least the good strong outtakes of it out mm-hmm. onto YouTube. So if you guys bear with me and my equipment limitations, we should have some really cool stuff on the uh, WAI Show Daily blog, which is WAIShowDaily.blogspot.com. Ah, yeah, got I, that in. I hear you're rendering video on a, on a Commodore 64. Is that what you're doing? No. <laughs> Don't be smart. <laughs> <laughs> I now, do uh, for, for a nonprofit. <laughs> 
for completeness sake, uh, I, I should point out that Randy Babbitt, who you mentioned previously, uh, is the administrator of the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, what was that conversation like? That conversation was pretty good. We were actually thinking forward towards Sun and Fun, but um, he did sign a memorandum of understanding with women in aviation that uh, women in aviation and the FAA were going to continue to work together um, to enhance safety and to um, increase diversity throughout the aviation industry. And really, the whole conference was about diversity. And that's what women in aviation is about. And I got to tell you that it's great fun to walk around the halls and see that we have, okay, come on, guys. Think, think about some of the other conferences that you go to every year. How okay. diverse, and I'm talking about diversity on a worldwide scale, are some of those? Uh, not very. Thank you. Okay. That's you not mean, You mean case. deviation from the predominantly white, predominantly European, yes. predominantly yes. male thing? Yes. Uh, Yes. Oh, I have to think about okay. That. We're we're standing about, you know, ninety nine standard deviations from the mean from that. I mean, come on. We had we had um women from West Africa who work in in keeping all of their uh radio ILS and, and VHF and all their radio systems up. Airways maintenance. Airways maintenance, thank you very much. And we had air traffic controllers. We had Hispanic. We had Asian. We had um, men. Yeah, I mean, just Ooh. the whole. Who yeah, let them in? You know, yeah. that, that's, that's sure to put you guys at risk of coming down a notch. Yeah. A good, guys. A good, I'd, be, I'd be really careful with that. Yeah. Hey, at least they don't have to stand in line in the restroom, okay? <laughs> Did you uh, talk with any other uh, interesting notables uh, throughout the week? I thought that I did. I got to talk a lot with uh, another person who was not there because uh, she's laid up with a broken leg, but Nicole Malachowski. Nicole Malachowski was uh, Thunderbird number three, you might Uh remember. Okay. (laughs) And she also, as a White House fellow, spearheaded the effort to get the Women's Air Force Service Pilots of World War II a Congressional Gold Medal. That is going to be awarded March 10th. Uh, In order to help her in her efforts to get the WAS, to enable them to be at the the, um, gold medal ceremony at the Capitol building, we were able to entice our corporate member, AirTran, to basically say... We will give every wasp and a companion free round trip tickets to DC. All right, all right. For the conference cool. now, and a companion's important. Most of these women are in their eighties, some yeah. older than that. Yeah. And uh, we also raised cash dollars on top of that to help pay for um, their accommodations and miscellaneous other things. So that was huge. That was during our banquet. That's up on our blog as well. If you want to, the sound bite is just beautiful because there were three wasps standing there and uh, uh, the air trans representative stood up and said, Hey, we made some phone calls this afternoon and we're making this happen for you. Yeah. And, that's uh, very cool. Very that's cool. very. It, cool. It, it was very cool, and there were just moments like that all the way through. Um, Anna Dietrich, who is the COO of Terrafugia, the transition, rotable mm-hmm. aircraft, mm-hmm. Right, right. Uh, spoke, and I have a 
amazing picture of her with Randy Babbitt, who was going, wow, I think what you're doing is so cool, and I can't wait to see it work. Now, Randy Babbitt, in his interview with me, used the word nimble. He suggested that the, and I said to him, I said, it's been a long time since I've heard an FAA bureaucrat use the word nimble. (laughs) In In what context was he using it? In that they have to be nimble. Because things are changing so quickly that they have to understand the technology and figure out how to integrate it into the regulations so that we can use it. This reminds me of a comedian back in the 50s. I'm sorry, 50s. Excuse me. No, <laughs> 80s. Back in the 80s. Uh, I think his name was Emo Phillips. He had a saying. Oh, says, yeah. You have to get up pretty early in the morning to catch me peeking through your bedroom window. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's the... That's kind of the way I feel about the FAA getting nimble. Well, I think he was referring to ADSB and NextGen uh, and the biofuels that are up and coming. Um, his and his sense was that they needed to adjust the regulation in order to allow us to utilize these technologies to um, increase efficiency. And keep uh, general aviation in particular is what he was addressing. Yeah. Well, that's very well, cool. La- yeah. Last last week there were two days of meetings here uh, organized by the small airplane director of the FAA out of uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, in the whole two days, a lot of industry reps, manufacturers, trade associations uh, was to discuss a report uh, that was done on how. Uh, and what should be done to simplify FAR 23. Uh, and one of the points of discussion in that was uh, the idea of let's not try to rein, you know, reinvent things to the point where this takes years to do because for it to be meaningful for the manufacturers, you know, the pilot population, bring that cost certification, all that, this really needs to be on a fast track, done quickly. Doesn't mean sloppy or all that. But it was an example of something that I've heard a little more of recently and along the lines of executing nimble and there not just go. talking about it from the FAA. So It would be uh, a refreshing change, wouldn't it? Uh, it would be a refreshing change, Amy, to see that an administrator is actually having that kind of down-in-the-ranks influence on the charges for whom, for, for, for whom he manages. So. Mm-hmm. Amy, um, so it sounds like it was a very, very exciting event, and uh, you're going to put some – is stuff this stuff going to be on the net available to uh, just regular it's, mere it's mortals? It's coming like up us? right now. Uh-huh. Absolutely. It's coming up right now. Like I said, it's waishowdaily.blogspot.com, and you can get there also from our wai.org website on the homepage. There's a link. Sounds great. And, Looking forward to uh, it. Yeah. yeah, and it's porting into our Facebook as well. I got them all hooked up. So one way or the other, you can find us and you can uh, learn about it. And the most exciting thing of all was that I came home and my husband said, here, take the fire extinguisher. We need to uh, run in these new cylinders on this new engine. Uh, yeah, I know. Let's go, uh, yeah, I want to talk about your cylinders. So, Bef- we'll, we'll talk about it as we go down the road. But yeah, we're going to get let there. Let me tell you, after six weeks of having the airplane grounded in, in that BS, it was 
really, really nice to come home. I, I do that. want to hear about that, but let's. I want to finish one more one thought here. Um, uh, so you you mentioned that you're going to Paris, the, the, this uh, centennial of women pilots thing. I am, in fact. I'm What's going that all to about? Fly, I, I'm going to fly into Le Bourget in a Robin if the weather's good. Um, so if the creek don't rise, um, the centennial of, of, uh, women in flight is really, uh, spearheaded by a woman named Mireille Goyer and she's Canadian. Uh, she decided to get it going in conjunction with a fifth annual, uh, women in aviation day that's held by the Paris air and space museum at Le Bourget. And uh, basically, she's decided to set a record of women introducing women to flight. So basically, she's inspiring women all over the world to take a woman up in the air for a flight this week. Say the name of the airport again. Le Le Bourget. Le Bourget. Le Bourget. Le Bourget, that's where... What's that guy's name? Lindbergh. 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 Yeah, yeah, that's a guy. Yeah. Well, that's that's going to be very cool. I mean, you're going to have to report back to us and let us know how. Oh, that, I how absolutely that went and, will. Uh, I'm. Uh, looks like uh, I should be able to get through there uh, through Chicago, and uh, by Friday I should be in Paris. Yeah. You got to go to Chicago to go to Paris. It's a story. that's cruel and unusual. I got to go to Philadelphia in order to go to Montreal. Think about that. There for a you second, go. You know. So, uh, <laughs> um, and believe me, I don't want to go to Philadelphia to go anywhere. I've been. I was going to say, isn't it faster to drive at that point? Almost, almost. I tell you, so. you know, after the last couple of times, I've I've had to come back into the states, um, especially on a U.S. carrier. Um, I've decided I'm just going to fly to like a reliever airport where my uh, overseas flight is going to depart from. The changing planes and clearing customs and immigration and trying to get on another flight. And yada yada yada. It, it, nine times out of ten, you're going to miss it anyway. I I don't know. Thanks. Don't Appreciate know. it. I love you. Yeah. Good yeah. luck, man. Yeah. You too. You too, Amy. Chicago. Uh-huh. Holy. Excuse me, Dave. The Jeb. weather's going to be Jeb, that's very three, nice Jeb, that's on three. Thursday in Chicago. Okay. The weather's going to be lovely on Thursday in Chicago. I already checked. Okay. Hello, be fine. I used to go to Dunkin' Donuts every morning and order my little breakfast sandwich, and I'd ask for a, a bacon, egg, and cheese on a croissant, and they'd uh-huh. give me the funniest looks. They'd say, "Huh?" And I finally what, realized what are they that used to hearing. I really, I, I now have to order. I have to say croissant, and if croissant, I say if yeah. I say croissant, they're just fine with it. All right. Oh so. come on! I speak French with a southern accent. <laughs> Bonjour, come and tie my shoe. <laughs> you know. Bonjour, good buddy. Now, one more thing. You you need to ask me why I won't go out of JFK. You do know why. No, tell us why. Because I haven't seen a wanted post for you. They've chewed up the main runway, and for the next four oh, that's months, right. there will be no main runway at JFK. So that's, my well, advice I, to I, you I, I back and down. all I, your I, friends. I, I got to figure I, that I, JFK I, has a second runway. I, um, I, yeah, yeah I, but. I stand, I stand better informed. I had forgotten about that. But <laughs> that, that makes some sense. But there's yeah. nothing Miami to Paris? One. Yeah. Well, you two. You have Air France or American. They leave at the same time. And That's a tough <laughs> they're both they're, they're, they're both solid. So uh, yeah. uh by my my odds of getting the seat I want on the airplane better through Chicago, so that's where I went. Yeah. 
Um, I'm going to put David on the spot here. Last, uh, last, I think it was last week, uh, but in a recent episode, we gave him a homework assignment. He took, he offered to take a homework assignment, um, and I'm betting a beer that he didn't, didn't complete his homework assignment. But, uh, <laughs> but we've got Amy here, so I'm optimistic that we're going to get an answer. Uh, David, do, do you even remember what your homework assignment was? You mean the email I sent off to my friends at 800 Independence asking... Okay, blame it on your dog. You're, I know. The FAA asking, ate your homework. Asking about the top, the, how, what determined the top of class Bravos? No, I don't remember anything like that. Yeah, right. Okay. Did you get an answer? <laughs> Actually, I got enough different answers that I'm not confident in any <laughs> okay. one of them. The question was, <laughs> the question was, we were, we were Damn. talking. Just, just Why everybody. does this not surprise me? All right, wait, wait, hang on. Before we go move on here. So the, uh, the question, for those who didn't listen to the episode, the, the question, we were talking about different class Bravo airspaces and we suddenly noticed that they had varying heights for reasons that weren't apparent. For example, um, Tampa and Orlando top out at 10,000 feet, whereas the New York Super Bravo was only 7,000 thousand feet high and Charlotte or uh, Memphis I guess is 10 they're, they're different for reasons we couldn't quite figure out and we were wondering what was the the the, the criteria what, what was going on there and David offered to do the research and they gave you different answers David what did they say well it it came down to basically a couple of different areas uh, one the way the airspace was structured before they started setting up the uh, the, the class Bravo and what did they call those things before they were called Bravos? TCAs. TCAs, terminal control areas. And the terminal control areas were set up around the jetways that connect the country with this theory, the tops being the entry point for high-speed traffic coming cross-country. Okay. So the jets coming into the airport that was the center of the terminal control area would be, because this was the smart thing to do, they thought, entering through the top. So let's make the top, this was one answer, let's make the top of this uh, conducive to them descending out of the flight levels on the jetways that they're flying on the, the routes that are connected by this. Uh, except that never lasted. They come in through the sides and at angles and all sorts of things now. Uh, part of it is terrain, part of it is traffic, Part of it is elevation, and none of it is consistently uh, applied by any standard that I can determine from this. That's why you have tops all over the map. What's the top of the one around the uh, Dallas International Airport? Anybody know off the top? I don't know. We can look it up pretty easily here. Because uh... that's an airport that's sitting at a, a little higher than 5,000 feet MSL. Dallas? Dallas or Denver? Denver? Denver. Denver? Sorry. Denver? <laughs> What's the code uh, for Denver? DIA? DEN. Delta Echo number. Yes. DIA is long gone. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're, you're in right. a time warp, my friend. I'm looking and at the. I uh, just saw Rocky Horror over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Denver is. Uh, Go there. It, it, it shouldn't surprise you to know I have that DVD. Yeah, the top of the uh, the top of the Denver Bravo is twelve thousand feet. And uh, looking, yeah, by the way, it might consider how high the field elevation is. That's not all that much airspace above 
the airport level. Yeah, especially since it extends off to the west into the mountains. I wonder what the ground is uh, off to. By the way, I'm looking at my new, uh, not favorite, but uh, uh, an interesting, that I've, it's new to me anyways, maybe it's been around, called runwayfinder.com. Um, oh, runwayfinder.com is wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, I've you been using... You get the weather, um, everything. I've been looking at, I've always looked at, uh, what's the other one? I'm blanking on its name now. Um, AirNav? No, no, the one that AirNav point, used to point you to when you clicked on the sectional. Um, Skyvector. Um, and Skyvector's great, uh, and they just upgraded their software that's really nice, um, but it's very, it's very modal. Skyvector is by, by sectional chart, basically. Um, well, you can get sectionals, uh, terminals, right. and But if you're altitude. scrolling around, you can actually scroll off the edge of the chart, and then it refreshes with the next chart over. Right. Um, Runway Finder actually has the entire country as one. It's actually pasted them all together, and it's kind of cool in that regard. I don't know whether the charts are up to date or not, but uh, from a kind of user interface point, you can actually scroll out far enough that you can see the entire United States as sectionals pasted together. It's kind of cool. Well, you know, usually, all those sites are at your own risk. Yeah, all, on yeah. the up to dateness. Not, not to be used for navigation. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's it's so challenging sometimes to find the runway when you first have to walk out the door of the FBO. Yeah. Sometimes it is actually. Uh all right, David, I take it back. F- you- FBO? What's what's an FBO? David, I take it back. I st- you, you did your homework. Good job. I, I apologize for not having any faith in any faith the, at all. The, in your- the, the dirty little secret is those emails went out while we were still recording episode 170 last. That's what you got to do. That's great. That's great. Okay. Yeah. Well, so the answer is there's no answer. The answer is that, uh, surprise, surprise, the national airspace system was, like, cobbled together. Um, well, and the answer is, like so many things in, in, in you know, aviation, is it depends. Yeah, the standard is there with the senior product. The standard is there is no standard. Yeah, right. Okay. It's an entry in a blog uh, from a website called Golf Hotel Whiskey, the free online magazine and airport guide for pilots. Uh, and the uh, the blog entry, the uh, article here, the posting uh, head is headlined: "What instruments do I need for VFR flight?" Oh, and, this is a site out of the UK. Is it? Uh, oh, yeah. well. Is it really? That that could that could affect my 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 little my little rant here. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, so he's proposed the acronym in order to help you know what f- instruments you're required. Um, he's re- proposed the acronym a tomato flames, and yeah. uh, and that yeah. produces a big honking list of instruments. And <laughs> my point here is that I I didn't is this really correct list? I I was under the impression that you could that there were circumstances where you could fly. I, I don't with think way, that is a correct list in the U.S. A way simpler list. Of, I mean, you can like fly an airplane, place where you can fly an airplane with I don't know what an altimeter <laughs> and an airspeed indicator. But or, Jack, the, the tomato flames list uh, is dependent upon airplanes. All yeah. of the letters in the acronym may right. not apply to the specific right. airplane. But, but even if you factor out the ones, for example, that says temperature gauge for liquid-cooled engines or landing gear position indicator, if applicable, even if you take those out, there still seems to be a lot more instruments on this list than I thought were absolutely required for Such simple. Such as? Yeah, may I refer you to <clears throat> the column just right of the what instruments do I need? In the uh, what do I need for the VFR flight? Where it says about the editor, Matthew Stibby is a writer in chief at Articulate Marketing. He also writes the Bad Language blog. He has a CPL IR, which I believe in the UK means Commercial Pilot License. 
instrument rating and flies a Cirrus SR-22 from Denham, England. England. All right. So, maybe so I think this list is maybe very geographic specific. And IFR. And the reality is that in the States, VFR, you have a very minimal list, but, but I think it was mm-hmm. Jeb who said it's dependent on the airplane mm-hmm. because there, are, there is a minimum equipment list, and in some airplanes that's the required equipment listing in the back of the pilot's operating handbook. But in any case, it says if that's not working, you can't fly. Right, and right. that's where right. you build your list for each individual airplane from. Well, uh, I, I look at and, a, and MELs uh, tend to be uh, for, uh, included for, uh, in manuals for airplanes that predominantly fly on instrument flight plans. So. Right, Jeb, you looked right. it up. What does it say? Well, I, I worked on an article on this a few months ago, and uh, um, this is this is basically correct. Uh, think about the the simplest. Um, uh, champ or cub, okay. You've got an altimeter. It may not be a sensitive altimeter. You've got a tachometer. Mm-hmm. You got an oil temperature gauge. Mm-hmm. You got an airspeed indicator. You got an oil pressure gauge. You got a fuel gauge, even if it's a cork bobbing in front of the windshield. Yes. And you've got a magnetic compass and seatbelt. That's it. I mean, my, that's what? basically my kit yeah. box. Now, is that the same list that applies to like an ultralight? Possibly. Well, there is no list that applies to an ultralight. There is no list yeah. that applies to an ultralight, and the LSA rules apply to the LSAs. I don't yeah. know what those are. Probably well, ultralights are probably LSAs more, yeah. now, huh? Well, ultralights are LSAs. For the, well, I'm not thinking, the ultra-ultralights. I yeah. agree. Yeah. That's Part 103 still. Right. I'm thinking yeah. Part 103 aircraft. Yeah. But, but the big thing... Amy, go ahead. I was going to say the big thing is that you have the bare minimum that's stated in the um, 14 CFR Part okay. 91 uh, for VFR flight, plus every certified FAR Part 23 certified airplane has a, a, a list of required equipment. And if it even, says even, it's required for flight, too. what's that? The car three airplanes also. Yes, car three airplanes. Yeah, but but if it says it's required in the pilot's operating handbook, you can't go fly without it. Yeah. Well, and then it, then of course it also depends on the um, operation to be conducted. If you yes, read down, you know here you got you know if, if you're at night, well you have to have fuses or or, or you know circuit breakers, um, landing light. Uh, if uh, it's a commercial operation, I believe that regulation still exists. But you got to have position lights. You got to uh-huh. have uh, anti-collision Any lights, so. and yeah, you got to have you know some kind of you got to have a, either a battery or a generator, alternator, something like that. Mm-hmm. Correct. You, where none of these other instruments require electricity, require a vacuum system. Mm-hmm. That's right. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. I stand corrected. Um, Hey, David, so about, about I don't know, what was it, a month ago, a few weeks back, whatever, um, you snuck off another one of your secret missions and, uh, and, and, and once again had more fun flying than anybody really has a right to. Uh, tell us what you did. Through the good graces of the nice folks at the Experimental Aircraft Association, I got tasked with flying up to the Minneapolis-St. Paul area relocating to South St. Paul, Minnesota, meeting up with the folks from Whip Air, who, are in, who were in the process of uh, earning a uh, supplemental type certificate 
to put their retractable ski system on the Aviat Husky one. What is it? One AC. Is that correct? Uh, the latest version of the Husky. And the test bed happened to be the airplane that the Experimental Aircraft Association is giving away as a sweepstakes airplane. The purpose of the trip was to develop a story about the ins and outs of ski plane flying, not about the skis, not about the Husky per se, and certainly not about the sweepstakes itself. Uh, so got to spend a couple of days with the Whip Air folks doing things out in an environment that I know my Florida friends are just so sad they didn't get to do themselves. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> How cold was it? Well, the, uh, the, the afternoon of the first day when we went flying, it had uh, warmed up to about four. <laughs> uh, the morning of the second day when we went flying, it had warmed up to minus three. Is that Fahrenheit? Doesn't yeah. matter. That's, that's inhuman. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Are you actually trying to fly an airplane in this weather? You know, it's amazing how well they fly when it's that cold because as uh, the, the article, which came in my mailbox in Sport Aviation today, it's a, a, a page 20 cover story. Uh, the airplane's on the front, front of the magazine. A really beautiful shot of the airplane in action by uh, our old buddy Jim Kepnick. And uh, we were flying at a density altitude uh, minus 3,000 MSL. Huh. Yeah. And it's remarkable how nimble the airplane is when the air is that, when, when the air is that heavy. If you, uh, ca- if you can get the engine started. Well, then that's one of the marvels of, uh, the, you know, of, a, of, a, of a long-ago invention called heated hangar. <laughs> <laughs> As in the Whip Air folks kept the airplane in a heated hangar where they did work on other things. And within 20 minutes of them pulling the airplane out of the heated hangar, we were saddled up and getting engine start and, and taking off from South St. Paul Airport. Uh, to go out and land on rivers, they, they happened to be frozen, but it was still kind of a an initial uh, sphincter sphincter suction moment. The oh. idea of landing on on a frozen w- river, a lake, I understood. Rivers, like the water's moving under there. How do we know that it's that heavy? Uh, you know, the, 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 the ice can take the weight, the old weight of the airplane. And this is, you know, 2,200 pounds gross weight or approximately. Uh, but as the, uh, the, the wonderful folks up there were uh, uh, able to educate me, the skis spread the weight out even better than wheels. And if it did break through the ice, it probably wouldn't break through past the fuselage any faster than it took us to bail our silly butts out of the fuselage. So. Yeah, we got that high wing, low thing wing we were talking about a while ago. It's like it's going to settle in down to the wings, and you're done. Yeah, the low wing wouldn't have gone very far uh, uh, once it the wheels broke through. The high wing probably wouldn't go very far either. Uh, the difference is that it would have a long way to go before it was actually resting entirely on the wing. So, you know, so, the part of the fun was learning how to judge the weight bearing capacity of a frozen body of water, things to stay away from on a frozen body of water. And how to judge and manage the airplane on a non-frozen body of land. Oh, I'm sorry, a non-frozen, a non-water body that is snow-covered land. Uh, how to make sure that you don't, you know, like 
try to land and have a buried log under the snow in front of you, how to watch out for it's a little bit too warm and it's starting to thaw out the snow. And if you're going to stay there overnight, how to uh, unstick the skis from where they froze because if you stay there overnight, they will froze. Yep. Now, I know the story wasn't, wasn't primarily about the Husky, but what's that airplane like? Oh, we, we, Huskies and I were, were old familiar buddies from some time I spent up in uh, Wyoming years ago. Uh, it's a lovely, it's a lovely little bush airplane. Tandem uh, seating. Tandem seating, yep. tail wheel, bush plane, uh, 180 horse and 200 horse versions. I got a little time in both. What does it mean to be a bush plane? It means that it is set up and stressed and uh, designed to be flown in off runway environments regularly. And with the Husky, you can get some obscenely large tires, for example. Yeah. And much larger, stronger tail wheel if you need it. The kind of tires that will let you take off and land on rock surfaces. Right. Uh, uh, but they're designed to fly on floats, on skis, uh, with uh, Tundra tires for getting on and off unimproved surfaces. Uh, very short field. Very, very good low-speed handling component. Uh, mm-hmm. you still got aileron input and response all the way through a full stall. Yeah. And that's really wonderful when you're trying to get in and out of a tight space in a minimum amount of, uh, of uh, touchdown and rollout. Right, right. Cool. So that's articles in the uh, current, just now arriving in people's uh, mailboxes issue of uh, Sport Aviation. Is that right? That's correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And I suspect in uh, a little over a week from now, this is what, March 2, that uh, you'll be able to get at the, uh, if you're not an EAA member, get the magazine. You'll be able to get at it, uh, a facsimile of it on the website. So. Right. Very cool. Um, can, can, I'm sorry, can non-members... It was very cool. It was very cold. Can non-members see the electronic version of the magazine? I, I guess I don't know the answer to that. I, I yeah, I assume that that was a membership can, membership benefit. It, I don't know. It's delayed. It's delayed. It's by delayed. It. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, right. you know, I mean, everybody should be an EA member, anyways. Come on, let's sure. get let's get over sure. it right now. All right. Very cool, David. Uh, let us know or not, as the case may be. And the next time you have a secret mission, we want to hear more. Well, uh, you know, as soon as they're not secret anymore, is is kind of the drill. I know. Uh, you know, know. Just, so, just so the folks understand, it's not to be particularly coy or anything like that. No, but no, no. it's like, yeah, these folks are paying your way to go off and test these airplanes. You got to like give them a chance to. Uh, they're the ones that they're the ones that get to unleash the thunder. Uh, <laughs> okay, hadn't really thought of it that way. Dave, Dave's thunder. That's maybe that's what we'll call this episode. Dave's thunder. Well, that's the 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 thing that we're not going to steal. Yeah, oh, please, there please don't. There you go. Amy, um, so your airplane was offline for a while. Yeah. And from reading the little blurb that you wrote here on our little uh, story list, it sounds like you were not treated nicely. What, what happened? What's going on here? Well, define nicely. Uh, no, one, no one yelled. Yeah, okay. okay. Tell us how they uh, treated you and we'll decide. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, most people know that ECI was forced to... Um, uh, the FAA expanded an AD that they they had issued for some of their cylinders that apparently when they had been assembled had been um, screwed in a little too far. 
okay, the heads to the barrels, and then brought back to the proper mark. And oh. this created Ooh. this created a weak spot inside. And they actually had some some heads that um did not last very long. Huh. Uh, the newest AD came out right at the end of 2009. We had been caught under the first AD with one cylinder. We thought that was really strange since all six were put together at the same time, but clearly they'd grabbed one from one shelf and five from another shelf. And so we talked to ECI at the time. The cylinder had about 75 hours on it. Well within its... uh, three years or 350-hour warranty, and they graciously sent us a new cylinder. No problem. No questions asked. This was, what, about a year ago. Now we come back, and now we have five more. They've come in under the expansion of the same basic AD. And we are told by ECI that they're not going to do that again for customers who are flying these cylinders in engines attached to experimental aircraft. Uh Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, yes. Wait, it gets interesting. So I have a letter dated January 10th from them basically saying, here's what we will do. You send us back your cylinders. We will rework them. We will um, take off the PMA numbers. And we will send them back to you as experimental cylinders. Because, you know, they do make it for experimental cylinders as well. Sure, sure. I.e., we will decertify them and send them back to you. And we went, whoa, 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 wait a second. doesn't say anything about that in the warranty. Right. And we purchased, for more money, I might add, certified cylinders. Yeah, 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 he says, but you're flying an experimental airplane. So, but what about the warranty? So, I mean, we were concerned about this, and they said, well, we have an alternate means of compliance here. And the FAA says it's cool with that. And we're going, really? And it it gets more complicated because there's A cylinders and there's B cylinders, and you can treat one or the other differently. Well, we have these B cylinders, and it says point blank in the AD that once the B cylinders come off an airplane, they are not to be used on any airplane again. So we're having trouble here because we're going, but it says in the AD we can't reinstall the B cylinder. Oh, no, 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 he said. We're going to take off the PMA <clears throat> numbers, rework them. They're going to be good. They're going to be better than new. This is Glenn Golden. Does that, does that seem to anybody else but me like the company is asking uh, Amy and Barry to be complicit in fraud. Well, well in the if end, they remove the, the PMA end. numbers, there's that's that's kind of basically absolving, trying to absolve them of future trying liability. to absolve them of, of future liability, but not necessarily us. And this is where it got complicated because we <laughs> it isn't started, complicated yet, right? Okay, keep going. Yeah, no, it isn't because we started calling around to see whether that was legal. It, obviously, you know, Barry's an A&P mechanic, and he's uncomfortable with the idea of not complying with an AD on a certified part. 
even though it's attached to an experimental airplane. Right, right. And there are, there are arguments about, we, we all agree that you can't issue an AD on an experimental aircraft. And I'm right. talking airframes here, airframe, okay? And if it's an experimental engine, I would be willing to agree that you can't issue an AD on it because there's no type certification, and the way ADs are issued, you need type certified, right? But we have a type certified engine. Don't, but but go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I I actually got into the technicalities on this. I went all the way to FA New England Region and the Law Division on this because I needed to see on the piece of paper. And I discovered that, in fact, EAA is interpreting something one way, but as of 2003, the general counsel of the FAA point blank said, if it's, got, if it's type certified and an AD comes out on it, we don't care what it's flying on. If you have an N number on it, you have to comply, not address, comply with the AD to be legal. However, okay, and this is an interesting caveat. The guy who sent it to me, who will remain unnamed, mentioned that the FAA is not in the habit of policing ADs and experimental aircraft. Oh. Okay. Uh, That's an invitation. So if you really want to risk your life, Right. And I went back. Well, forget about life. We're talking liability here. Okay. I went yeah, back. Something to important, EAA. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We went back to EAA with that. And actually, the specialist was quite surprised to see something in writing from the general counsel of the FAA. And that would be the thing that the FAA law judge would use, by the way. Right. There's no question about it. Absolutely. This will come up at the hearing. Yeah, exactly. So one would think that you would never want to get to that place. But I was concerned that, you know, if we ever had a situation like that, it could get very uncomfortable. I talked to my insurance broker. He said, (laughs) I've never had a case of an insurance company saying the airplane wasn't airworthy, therefore we're not paying. Okay. I mean, they're really good about that stuff if it what didn't come in under the stuff. But but it says in my policy that I must maintain an airworthy airplane. Um, you know, I mean, and I went back to EAA's papers that they put out. And what EAA has done, and it's interesting, and I like EAA. You understand that. I work, I've worked for EAA. I really respect them. But I'm a little concerned with what they're telling people right now because they're basing it on a working paper from a meeting that took place in 1998, which agreed that you can't issue an AD on an experimental aircraft. But there's where the logic breaks down. They take and they extrapolate that to mean that anything that's attached to that experimental airplane can therefore you don't you're not obligated to this is where i've got to ask to a question comply now they they say you should address it yeah but address doesn't mean comply with david ask your question ask your question amy you put yeah. a certified engine in an experimental airframe correct yes sir so 
the FAA treats experimental aircraft differently in the test flying period when they have a certificated engine versus a non-certificated engine, correct? Correct. 25 hours for the certificated generally versus 40 hours for the non-certificated, correct? In, it, correct. In fact, we had a 40-hour fly-off because they didn't like our, our exhaust system. Or no, excuse me, our fuel injection system. Yeah, I, I, I was coming to that. I remember yeah. the, the, the fuel injection system was an experimental part on the engine. That's but correct. The, the experimental fuel injection system doesn't void the type certification no, of the sir, engine it does itself, not. does it? That is it correct. It does not. That is correct. I, I, I don't see a way out of this. That, I that don't doesn't either. treat the airplane, the engine of the airplane, regardless of the certification basis of the sheet well, metal that attached to the engine. I don't see a way around treating this as a certificated engine because it was built under under certification rules. It was sold and marketed under certification rules. It was warranted under certification rules. Yes. And this bogus idea of give it back and we'll grind off the numbers to me is like a gun dealer saying, yeah, I have to sell it to you legal, but if you kill anybody, bring it back and we'll grind the serial numbers off for you. Well, here's, a, here's what we did. We, we argued that point. We really did. We argued hard all the way to the top of the food chain there. And, um, and finally, uh, we broke down and we started calling the MIDO, which is the manufacturing oversight um, for the region. Mm-hmm. And we said, is there an alternate means of compliance for this thing that we're not reading in here? And the guy said, no, it's not approved. And we said, well, ECI says there is. And he said, no, there isn't. Blah, 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 blah. And he hung up. We well, went, okay, Amy, I come, you know, I come back to you. If they're grinding off the PMA number in lettering, then they can do anything, excuse me, they can do anything they want. That's four. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking at an unapproved parts problem but, here. But, but Jeb, I have a warranty for that part. I understand. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying to let yeah. them do that. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I agree. Once they get but the I jug agree back, with you. Yeah. I once agree they get the jug back, back, they can do anything with whatever they want. Yeah. yeah. Once but they take don't the give them the jug back. <laughs> well, we already you know, I know had. A, I know of a lawyer in Philadelphia that could make these guys cry. by just sending a letter to them. It's my, an interesting my, story because it, it gets more interesting. Well, we call, we're calling every day. Our cylinders are already there, Jeb, okay. when this, I, I this craziness starts. So we're calling now every day and talking to this guy and that guy, and we figure out the Danbury Aviation is the same as, as ECI, and one's the corporate office and one's, you know, the manufacturing. And, and we're talking to different people, and we're talking to people in warranty, and we're saying this is unacceptable, and the only way you're going to make us happy is by giving us new right. cylinders. Right. Duh. New cylinders. And somewhere in there, we got to the, you know, first they offered us, well, how about if we give you the reworked B cylinders, but then as soon as we get some reworked A cylinders, we'll send you those and you'll send us back the B cylinders. So, oh, yeah, I want to take my, first I had to take off perfectly good cylinders off a 200-hour engine, and I have to send them back to you. Now you want to send me a new set of cylinders that I'm not so sure are legal, and then you want me to take them off and send them back to you as soon as they're broken in so that you can send me some more cylinders and I'm paying the postage? 
Okay, <laughs> so that's not a happy answer. And then Barry gets this, he's talking to him, and he gets a strange thing. Well, we are not sure what's going on. The FAA is here today. That was the next day. And then, I hope so. And then the next day, the next day after I had coughed up this memorandum from the general counsel, that refers specifically to an AC that was put out in 1995 that point blank says everything you and I have all said about, particularly Dave, about if it's got a type certification and it's going on anything with an end number, it's got to comply with ADs. Okay? And it says that point blank. And we've gotten EA to acknowledge that they they simply don't agree with that and they're working to change it, i.e. they didn't say that it wasn't true. They said, we don't agree with the premise of this and we're working to change it. They don't That's agree true. with the we premise got, of the advisory we got, circular? We, right. We got that far. We got that far with them. Okay. Then the next day we call back and say one more time, What's going on? They say, we're sending you new cylinders, and we're getting them ready now. We call that, okay, we're happy. That, 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 that Boom, can't we're happy. All right, that would be the end of it, except hmm. each day you call to say, are they ready to ship, and can you give me tracking numbers? Because at this point, you know, you've spent six weeks hassling. You want to believe they're really doing this, but the only way you believe it is when you have UPS tracking numbers, right? Yep. Come on, you've all been there, right? On that Friday, on that Friday, a week ago last Friday, called one more time. He said to to my husband, sir, I cannot release this until you give me a credit card number. And he said, excuse (laughs) me, why? And he said, well, because they've been prorated. Oh, I knew it. They've been prorated and you owe us X amount of dollars. And I cannot release the shipment until you give me a credit card number to pay for it. So in the end, we did have to pay for our new cylinders at a prorated rate, despite the fact that the warranty that anyone can download from the ECI site says nowhere that there would be prorating. Sounds like a big mess. And that's one of the things, too, going on here is... Cylinders in general aviation airplanes haven't been getting along well over the last handful of years. Yeah, there's uh, been a lot of ADs. There's been a lot of ADs from, from all the manufacturers. Uh, Lycoming factory cylinders have had problems. TCM factory cylinders have had problems. Um, the ECIs have had problems. And there's a couple of episodes of ECI cylinders having problems. There's a couple of episodes of superior uh, Millennium cylinders having problems. And I don't even think they're on the market anymore. No, they're uh, not. You can't get one. The, yeah, the punchline is uh, ECI and factory cylinders are, are the only choices right now. And uh, I haven't seen a whole lot of uh, good news coming out of any of these companies relative to um, the quality of their cylinders overall. Again, everybody's been having one problem or another. A lot of it's QC relative to uh, who's actually doing the castings, the, the subcontractors who are actually doing the, uh, uh, the metallurgy work, the, the, the uh, forging work, casting work, I should say. But uh, uh, they're missing a lot of this stuff as, as, before it gets to the end user. Um, and it's, it's not, again, it's not about ECI. It's not about uh, Superior or uh, Lycoming or, or, or Continental. Maybe it is, but it's about all of them. 
and they're all doing this, and it's and it's um, um, it's getting old. Yeah. Well, my my biggest issue is if you want to be in this business, you got to preserve your customer service reputation, and you can't treat your cust- one customer differently from another customer because you think you're going to be able to save a little money that way. You know, um, I don't think they really understood that, that an experimental customer who purchased certified cylinders cannot be told you're going to be a second-class citizen on this. We're going to treat you differently. Well, that's pretty amazing. So you Fun stuff. Have you gotten your cylinders? The engine has been run in on the ground. We're just waiting for decent weather to be able to go fly. Yeah, decent weather. Decent yeah, weather. Right. If it's not 60, we're not going flying. You sound like me. <laughs> yeah, it was blowing 30 knots today, Gustin. Yeah, it's been... Oh, it's been with- All it's right. Been- hey, listen, we got to start wrapping this thing up here. Um, Shout-outs. There's a couple on the list. Uh, David, you want to go first? This is... We should sure, be talking about not? Sun and Fun, not Oshkosh, but let's talk about Oshkosh for just a second here. Go ahead, Dave. Well, I was talking to a friend of ours up in our favorite Wisconsin town uh, last week, and he mentioned that that day, Thursday, February 25th, was the opening day for the 2010 season of Artie and Ed's drive-in Artie and in Ed's, Oshkosh, yeah. Wisconsin. That's how you know spring is coming to uh, Wisconsin even though it was only 28 degrees that day, some of the faithful at EAA headed over there east of uh, east of 927, the arrival end of 27, yeah. to a little drive-in. And I'm trying to picture poodle-skirted, <laughs> roller-skating waitresses in 28-degree weather. I, ice skating. That's right. They're probably ice skating now. That's the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the young ladies who serve the, uh, the food and take the orders. Uh, go around on on roller skates at Artie and Ed's. That's that's one of the uh, one of the well, from my well, perspective. Roller skates, anyways. pleated poodle skirts. I mean, it's a throwback to the fifties. And uh, yeah, I think on Thursday night during Oshkosh, well, Thursday night almost all summer long, a big gathering of custom cars there. So yeah, even yeah. though we couldn't be there, our, our hearts and minds were in the. I know. Just, just, just looking at this picture, just looking at this picture, my cholesterol, I can feel it's going up right now. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the food there is so much better than any place else. They're pike, they're walleye. Yeah, oh, yeah it's so a good place. Good. It's a good place. Uh, on Twitter, uh, EAA Update, who is, it's usually done by uh, Dip, Nip, Dip, Dick Nipinski, um, and they posted a picture of them uh, out in front of Artie and Ed's on opening day, and uh, um, it's a funny picture because uh, uh, years ago I used to host a party here for my friends, my, my summer friends, and in the middle of the winter we'd get together and hold this party. And one of the jokes that we always thought was just hilarious because suddenly everybody's dressed up in their ski, you know, snowmobile, you know, snow machine outfits and their winter parkas and so forth and so on. And the joke that would just crack us all up is we'd all look at each other and say, "I didn't recognize you with your clothes on." And uh, I'm looking at this picture of our EAA friends in front of Artie and Ed's uh, in uh, in February, and uh, they're all dressed up in their winter parkas and their wool hats, and uh, it's like I'm looking a little closely, going, "Oh, oh yeah, man, scarves, gloves, parkas, uh, right there in front of the friendly place signs." Yeah. Since 19- 
48. Yeah, so. I, had, I had been going to Oshkosh for over 10 years before I realized that it's not always summer in Wisconsin. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually had to go to a conference in October and was brutally assaulted by yeah. <laughs> But uh, there they are. Let's see. I, I, are you guys looking at this picture? Um, I recognize, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, finally. Mary, Mary Jones there. And uh, yeah. uh, I'm Steve trying... Boos and uh, some of the other gang from headquarters. Yeah. And, and uh, so uh, that's great. I, I can't wait. I can't we, wait for. We, we much appreciated nappers. Can't wait for uh, Air Venture 2010, and can't wait for Artie and Ed's. But but uh, but more immediately, we're going to start getting some information about Sun and Fun. Been talking uh, pretty regularly to uh, to our our good buddy Dave Shellbetter uh, as they prepare uh, for the uh, radio station this year. Some cool stuff happening at the radio station, and uh, uh, we should probably get Dave on the uh, podcast sometime soon to fill us in. We should maybe get uh, uh, some other of the the leaders I of. Say uh, we should we should. Uh see if we can't get mr burton on yeah so. yeah because yeah. uh sun and fun's coming up fast uh it's uh what must be six weeks out now seven weeks something like that and uh i think we're down to six yeah. because if memory serves it's april 13 yeah and just about yes just about every week goes by and there's another announcement about something cool that's going to be at sun and fun this year so uh so uh that's going to be a blast and uh, oh, the thunderbirds are coming back so and it's going to be, be entertaining it, it's going to be fun to uh, to go from. Plus, we're going to be there. So yeah, I mean, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be fun to uh, go down to uh, to leave New England and go down to the Florida weather, even though it is brutally cold this year. I mean, yeah, it won't be brutally cold by Florida. then. It cannot sustain. I maintain it cannot sustain. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, that's coming up. Um, let's see now. Uh, other shoutouts. Uh, anybody got anything else? There's one other on the list here. What do we got? Um, I got I got a quick one. Yeah, well, uh, Jeb, uh, tell us what you got, and then I'll I'll kind of um, uh, just uh, um, thanks to um, uh, Brendan at the uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas airport line guy there um, helped me out. Nice guy. He's he's you know working his way up the the aviation ladder here, and uh, um, just a nice nice uh, uh, helpful uh, uh, ramp guy. And I just like to give him a shout out. Absolutely, and I want to thank the people at Showalter at Orlando Executive for being so wonderful to all our uh, women aviation attendees. They, they are great in. folks at Showalter. Yeah, cool. absolutely, they are. They, are. they really are. Jeb, you want to give us a quick update on the uh, Southeast uh, UCAP meetup? Great Southeast UCAP meetup, uh, two point This would let's see, the thirteenth, I believe, is a Tuesday. Yes, April. It is. Yes, okay. it is. So we're talking uh, April 10, that Saturday, the preceding Saturday. Uh, plan A is the uh, Honoluana uh, Bar and Grill at the Venice, Florida airport. Um, let's call it 1 o'clock. Cool. Can I bring my parents again? A- absolutely. Actually, it looks like these two ne'er-do-wells will also be in the, in the vicinity. I was just yeah. about to point that out, Amy. Look out. You know, you yeah, just- look out. Actually, we were thinking about just having take your place, your house. Jack and, 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 and I will both be there with Jeb. So 
you know, you want to think about that in terms of what you expose your parents to. <laughs> no, really. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> yeah. But I should I should have a flying airplane that I can come up in. Cool. So maybe even something we can all go fly in. I'm I'm counting on on getting a ride, uh, if not more, in the uh, in the Kit Fox while I'm down there. Is the Kit Fox flying these days? Kit Fox is flying like crazy. Okay, that's sustained me for the last six weeks. Yeah, yeah. I, I really want to. I want to really want to go flying in that airplane. Anyways, um, let's see. You know, one other shout out here. Uh, we uh, from the forums. Uh, we have a really cool little post from a listener who goes by the name of Marin or Marin, um, and he or she writes. Uh, I started flying in 2005 because of the sport pilot rule. I had a fun time finding a flight school to do the training, but uh, found uh, someone named Dave from Northwest uh, from Northwest School of Aviation at Payne Field in Everett, Washington. He, he oh writes, yeah, that's he, Boeing's. Uh, Wide body headquarters. Yeah, and he writes that on on March sixth, two thousand and six, I completed my check ride, and then he goes on to say, I have now finished building my own Bush Caddy High Wing ELSA and received my airworthy certificate in August of two thousand nine. Having a great time. So uh, uh, a little belated, but uh, a great report from uh, from listener Marin, and uh, congratulations, yay yay! That's that's terrific. All right, time to stick a fork in this one. Amy, thanks for being here tonight. Amy Maboda is a, a freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. Amy, where can people find you on the internets? They can find me at wai.org or afwdigital.org. <clears throat> and uh, be sure to check out the uh, blog, which you can get to off the wai.org org website and see what's been going on at the conference absolutely gonna look gonna go right there right after we get done here also jeb burnside uh, uh, a lot of fun talking with you gonna but but look out because here we come we're coming down <laughs> jeb is an aviation oh, jeb is an aviation journalist and is currently serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine where can people find you on the internet another day jobs remains uh aviation safety magazine.com uh personal website is jeburnside.com i will uh, be popping up on AvWeb and Aviation Consumer a little bit also. Yeah. And uh, Senior Capitan Higdon, Dave Higdon, uh, is uh, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where are you on the Internet? Oh, www.davehigdon.biz, avbuyer.com, aea.net, uh, kick a rock, and hope to be doing some more here later in the year yeah we can't wait more secret missions more secret missions more secret missions that's right yep and i'm jack hodgson i'm a private pilot a freelance writer and a new media producer you can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net as always thanks to jeff ward for creating our show notes uh, on the uh, website also thanks to uh, royce earl and mike morgan and to the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that we use each week We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just $10 or $15 over the span of a year makes a big difference. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the aviation movies list, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you were going to say something? The key to long life is aviation, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. TTFN.